morning, everybody. We are one of the things we're excited about in kind of this new adventure, and we are we're still looking for um, maybe our ultimate facility. And um, but we feel like right now that we are to figure out a way to to come together. We think there's something important about us all being together in 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 one place. We're going to be doing some surveys on because. Starting in August, we'll need to go to a third service and different time options and stuff for that. But uh, just kind of bear with us as we kind of work this through. We are in a series called um, Life Together, and I think you kind of get that impression from that slide, right? Uh, Last week, we kind of set the foundation for this, the theological perspective on this idea that we have a God who is relational that the very essence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's this interplay, this interaction between God himself, which is unique. We're all still trying to get our brains around exactly what the Trinity means. Last Sunday was Trinity Sunday, and what that actually means is all different kind of descriptions of ideas on, you know, analogies on the Trinity, and none of those completely um, say it. All of those tend to leave a little something out. Uh, that's why it's such a mystery, but it's this amazing thing that we have been created in the image of this relational God. Therefore, we've been designed to be relational, that it's in our DNA to do life together, that that's part of, of how we are to operate. And at the end of that, at the end of that pursuit for relationship, that hunger that we have to connect with others can be some of the most powerful and amazing experiences that we can have in life, that Sharing of life, giving life to life is some of the most powerful things. But the reality is, as humans, we all know that it can be some of the most frustrating times too, can it? Uh, that our longing for this doesn't always, doesn't always work real naturally because some people have the gall to think different than we do. Can you believe that? Um, now, wouldn't it be better if everybody just thought the way you did? that they saw the world the way you did. Wouldn't that be better? Because you have it right, don't you? I mean, can you all agree that you have it right? And if everybody disagree, then life would be grand. The challenge is, as much as we want that, it would end up pretty boring. Uh, if we all were just the same and thought the same, we wouldn't, we wouldn't stretch, we wouldn't be challenged to grow. And so there's a pathway here. And we, talk about, we talked about community last week, this idea of life together community. Um, we're looking at how do we actually make that happen? How do we actually connect with other people? Today we're going to uh, do something a little different maybe than we would normally do on a Sunday morning. Uh, Again, we've kind of set the stage um, with Scripture last Sunday. If you weren't here, you might want to listen to it on how the Trinity actually interrelates with each other, and, and that gives us some insight on how we're to interrelate uh, with each other. And we talked about the different kinds of community, a, a community of a, a big group like this, like we're all cheering or most of us all are cheering for the thunder. We're, we're part of them. They're part of us, you know, even if, you know, right, even if we've never met them, we're all part of each other, right? And uh, to uh, the one-on-one experiences, all the different levels of community, how those are important. And so um, we kind of set the stage for that. But today we want to talk about how do we actually do this? How do we as humans actually get past some of the barriers that we have in, in being different from one another and actually make this happen? How do we 
How do we connect? How do we develop community as God has designed it? Building community really requires good communication. Any kind of relationships that we have involve communication. And so we're going to take a look at some of that today. Some of you will remember in February when we were talking about relationships, one of the things that we talked about is how we are all so different. Whether it's your spouse or somebody that you work with or your children, you are very different from who they are. And that's based on three different areas. One is personality. You probably married someone different than you. You may work with people that have different personalities. The other is background. You were raised in a different home than anyone else. Even if you were talking about your sibling, whether you were the oldest or whether you were the youngest impacts what your uh, family influence was on you. And then the third thing is gender, whether we are male or female. All of those work together and really create a filter that we have in how we look at life, how we communicate, and how we receive communication. So all of those are a part of our filter that we have to recognize when we're interacting with other people. Gender is one that we like to, to talk about a lot because it's kind of a fun one to play with. Um, there was a Harvard preschool study done among four-year-olds. And they took four-year-old boys and girls in their preschool and they put mics on them. And then they just sent them out to play. And they had researchers that recorded every sound that came out of the children's mouths during that time that they were playing. The interesting thing was, for the girls, 100% of the sounds coming out of their mouths were actually words. Even playing with their dolls, hi, honey, do you want to go to the grocery store? Okay, let's get you in the car and let's go to the grocery store. However, for boys, only, only about 68% of the sounds coming out of their mouth were actual words. The rest of them were... They made a lot of sounds. And so even She's as, been practicing yes, that all morning so she could do that. I raised boys. <laughs> I know these sounds. So, <laughs> so even as small children, we see those differences. In adults, when we see males and females in communication, women's conversation, 60% of their conversation involves topics that are personal and relational. As they go throughout their day, they are much more likely to discuss relationships, what's going on with me, what's going on with you, what's going on with this person. Men, on the other hand, only communicate about 23% of their communication is relational in nature. They are communicating about tasks in most of the other communication. So we're different. And we could go on and on about the differences that we have seen. But what we have to keep in mind is we all have that filter, whether it's gender, whether it's environment, or whether it's personality. The way we hear things and the way we share things are going to be impacted by that filter that we have. There's a cartoon series. You may have heard it. It's uh, Why We'll Never Understand Each Other that kind of plays with this gender thing a little bit. Um, and so let's look at these real quick. What she heard. You don't expect me to take care of the kids, clean the house, and make dinner for you, do you? What he actually said. Feeling any better, honey? <laughs> what he heard. You are way too stupid to be driving in bad weather alone. What she said. Drive carefully, dear. What she heard. It's your lot in life to stop whatever it is you're doing in order to serve my every need. What he said. Honey, do you know if we have any more AAA batteries? 
What she heard. Life as we know it will cease to exist unless you can alter the space-time continuum. What he said. Honey, you about ready to go? <laughs> what he heard. I'm going to make you wish you were dead for the rest of the week. <laughs> what she said. Tell me the truth. Do I look fat in this? <laughs> what she heard. Anything less than absolute perfection makes you an utter failure as a wife and mother. What he said. Mom's coming over. <laughs> what he heard. Honey, why don't you put your head in a vice and I'll turn the handle until your skull explodes. What she said. Honey, why don't we turn off the TV and just talk? <laughs> oh, true, 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 true. Um, now, obviously, a lot of these references are... Uh, um, gender-related and talking about most of these relate to about 85% of the population, which we have to recognize that another 15% is just the opposite of that. And so if you're listening to these and you realize, gosh, we're just the opposite on how we do, well, that's just your design. And the unique thing in a marriage is we do still marry opposites. And you're going to find this in the workplace. You work with people that think and process information uh, very differently than you do. Uh, we came across the, a little story about Roger and Elaine a few years ago that, that uh, really puts some interesting perspective on this. Let's say a guy named Roger is attracted to a woman named Elaine. He asks her out to a movie. She accepts. They have a pretty good time. A few nights later, he asks her out to dinner. And again, they enjoy themselves. They continue to see each other regularly. And after a while, neither one of them is seeing anybody else. And then one evening when they're driving home, a thought occurs to Elaine. And without really thinking about it, she says it out loud. Do you realize that as of tonight, we've been seeing each other exactly six months? And then there's silence in the car. To Elaine, it seems like a very loud silence. She thinks to herself, gee, I wonder if it bothers him that I said that. Maybe he's been feeling confined by a relationship. Maybe he thinks I'm trying to put him into some kind of obligation that he doesn't want or isn't sure of. And Roger is thinking... Gosh, six months. <laughs> and Elaine is thinking, but hey, I'm not so sure I want this kind of relationship either. Sometimes I wish I had a little more space so I'd have time to think about whether I really want us to keep going the way that we are, moving steadily towards, I mean, where are we going? Are we just going to keep seeing each other at this level of commitment, at this level of intimacy? Are we headed toward marriage, toward children, toward a life together? Am I ready for that level of commitment? Do I really even know this person? And Roger's thinking, six months, that was back in the winter. I mean, look at the odometer. Whoa, I am way overdue for an oil change. <laughs> and Elaine is thinking... He's upset. I can see it in his face. Uh, maybe I'm reading this completely wrong. Maybe he wants more from our relationship, more intimacy, more commitment. Maybe he has sensed, even before I sensed it, that I was feeling some reservations. Yes, I bet that's it. That's why he's so reluctant to say anything about his own feelings. He's afraid of feeling rejected. And Roger is thinking... I'm going to have them look at the transmission, too. Um, I don't care what those morons say. It is not shifting right. 
Uh, and they were just saying it's the cold weather. It's 87 degrees out. What are they thinking? And Elaine is thinking, oh, he's angry. And I don't blame him. I'd be angry too. I feel so guilty putting him through all of this. But I can't help the way I feel. I'm just not sure. And Roger is thinking. And they'll probably say it's only a 90-day warranty. Uh, I can't believe those guys. And Elaine's thinking, maybe I'm too idealistic, waiting for a knight to come riding up on his white horse when I'm sitting right next to a perfectly good person, a person I enjoy being with, a person I truly care about, a person who seems to truly care about me, a person who is in pain because of my childish schoolgirl fantasy. And Roger is thinking, warranty? I'll show them a warranty. They can take their warranty and... Roger, Elaine says out loud. What, says Roger, startled. Please don't torture yourself like this, she says, her eyes beginning to fill with tears. Maybe I should never have said, oh, I feel so, and she breaks down sobbing. What, says Roger. I'm a fool. I mean, there's no night. I really know that. It's silly. There's no night, and there's no horse. There, there's no horse? You think I'm a fool, don't you, Elaine says. No, says Roger, finally knowing, glad to know what the right answer is. It's just, it's just that I need some time. There's a 15-second pause while Roger, thinking as fast as he can, tries to come up with a safe response. Finally, he comes up with one he thinks just might work. Yes. Elaine... Deeply moved, touches his hand. Oh, Roger, do you really feel that way, she says? What, what way? That way, about time. Oh, says Roger, yes. Elaine turns to face him and gazes deeply into his eyes, causing him to become very nervous about what she might say next, especially if it involves a horse. Thank you, Roger, she says. Thank you. <laughs> then he takes her home and she lies on her bed, a conflicted, tortured soul, and weeps until dawn. Whereas when Roger gets back to his place, he opens a bag of Doritos, turns on the TV, and immediately comes deeply involved in a rerun of a tennis match between two Czechoslovakians he's never heard of. A tiny voice in the far recesses of his mind tells him that something major was going on back there in the car. But he is pretty sure there is no way he could ever understand what. And so he figures it's better just not to think about it. The next day, Elaine will call her closest friend, or perhaps two of them, and they will talk about this situation for six straight hours. In painstaking detail, they will analyze everything he said and everything she said, going over it time and time again, exploring every word, expression, gesture for nuances of meaning, considering every possible ramification. They will continue to discuss the subject off and on for weeks, maybe months, never reaching any definite conclusions, but never really getting bored with it either. Meanwhile, Roger, while playing tennis one day with a mutual friend of his and Elaine's, will pause just before serving, frown, and say, Bill, did Elaine ever own a horse? <laughs> now, obviously, we're being a little silly, um, but kind of fun. The... Uh, so we're going we're gonna to just, again, take a look at this in all relationships. And uh, 
the, the principle that we're going to try to leave you with in the next few minutes here that you can begin to put into practice immediately is something that we learned the hard way. Now, all that we teach couples and families and work environment, um, employees and systems, everything we teach in those environments are things that Janice and I learned the hard way. Um, it wasn't just because of our educational background or 30 years of experience. We bumped into most of these things the hard way. There was no such thing as premarital counseling back um, 35 years ago uh, to the extent there is now. And so we had to kind of get our way through this. In all, in all communication, um, there is a, uh, a sender and a receiver. And so are we, are we set up to try this, guys? Um, the, um, and we had a situation, I need to, I need to, I need to set you up on, um, on kind of a little bit of the background. We've been married just, just a, a few months and, uh, I was a dorm director at ORU. She worked in the financial aid office and, and she came home one day from work. And in all communication, you have a, a sender and a receiver. Now, circumstances where we had just bought our first brand new car. A 1978 Toyota Celica hatchback, little fins on the back window, very sweet. It was copper brown with orange pinstripes. Very nice. It was very, nice. very cool. $147 a month car payments. Uh, I wish you could do that today for Toyota, but it was like a gazillion dollars um, to us back then. And she came home. She was a sender, and she said, I cannot stand this job. It's driving me crazy. I feel disrespected. I don't feel like they value what I bring in. I, I cannot keep doing this. I can't go another day there. Now, when she said those words right here, I stopped listening. Now, I was polite enough to keep looking at her, and her mouth was moving. Um, and I thought, you know, something was happening there. But I'm not, I'm not hearing anything. I now have been presented a problem to fix. I have to make this go away. I need to make my wife happy, and I need to salvage the car. Because I'm thinking, I'm see- in my mind's eye, I'm seeing the wrecker pulling up to the house and, you know, repoing the car. I mean, that's all what's going through my, my mind's eyes. So, so I now become the sender. I send a message back to her as a receiver, and I have, like, a, a brilliant solution for her. Now, this is, you know, there's no such thing as personal computers, no emails, none of that. So I said, okay, this, you need to do this. Go to your supervisor, say this, this, and this. If that doesn't work, let's talk to another department and do this, this, and that. I had it all figured out. I, I thought this was wonderful. Well, about here... She didn't think this was so wonderful. Um, and she was thinking something like, You cold, insensitive slob. All you care about is my paycheck. You don't care whether I'm happy or whether I'm miserable or what I have to go through every day. You're just more concerned about whether I bring money home. Yeah, some, something like that, as, as, I, as I remember. <laughs> and so she now becomes the sender. Or she's back here, sorry. She's the sender. She shoots something back at me, and it had a little punch to it by this time. Had a little sting in it because she's now hurt. Well, that catches me off guard. I don't want to listen to much of that, and I react to that. She doesn't listen to much of that, react to that. Now, I do not have enough board here, okay? This, this lasted, we believe, it's been a long time, at least two hours. At least. Uh, we went from little room to room, room to room in our apartment at the time saying all kinds of things to each other and about each other and about each other's heritage, and it was... <laughs> Bad. You know those conversations where they get in the shower and you're not done, so you pull the shower curtain, and then, <laughs> yeah, those yeah. kinds. And yeah. so. Um, You've probably heard about those. Now, the, the amazing thing after two plus hours of this, what I found out was she was not planning on quitting her job. She had a bad day. 
she found out after two plus hours that I wanted her to be happy. If she wants to quit her job and get another, that's totally fine with me. I'd rather not quit tonight, which is what it sounds like she's doing, but, I, but that's fine with me. So ultimately, we came to two conclusions. The first one was, honey, if we want to stay married, we better figure out what just happened and stop it because we're going to kill each other. Um, the second conclusion was because we were both halfway through our graduate degrees to become marriage and family therapists. If we want to help anybody else stay married, we better figure out what just happened. <laughs> There's a couple of scriptures that came to our mind at that time. Um, Proverbs 18:13 says, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. Exactly what I did, right? And Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. We did really good at the harsh words that particular yeah. day. We were highly skilled at that. Highly skilled at harsh words. Uh, now, let's look back. If we could go back to the deal there. Let's look back at what happened there, and I didn't draw it high enough. But if you look at the words that were actually spoken and actually landed, and if I diagram this all the way through, there was just a very small fraction of the words that were actually received. Because both of us, and don't we oftentimes do this when somebody's talking, just in a few moments into their statement, we start processing what they've said and we're thinking about what we're going to say next. And of course, we're much more interested in what we have to say than what anybody else has to say. And so we get caught on that. And so we realized that we had to learn how to listen more. We had to figure out how do I discipline my flesh. How do I discipline my natural human tendency to want to interrupt, to want to interpret, to want to say my stuff and not jump there so quickly? And so we knew that we had to somehow get it down farther here to where we were listening, but we weren't doing a very good job of that. And the other thing we realized is that we were talking about different things. What she was communicating was totally different than the kind of things I was communicating. And we began to look at another principle that that we realize that there are three basic areas of awareness that we all have. We listen, um, other people communicate from these perspectives, and we hear those, and we communicate through these different perspectives. We draw like a triangle. Um, the first one is thoughts. This is our left brain, logical, analytical part of us. We also have feelings, and we also have wants. Now, what do you think Janice was communicating when she was saying how she was frustrated and hurt and disappointed? And What do you think? Almost 100%. Now, I didn't get that. I'll describe this a little bit more in a minute. But I lived in a thought world. Um, I did not get feelings. I didn't get them in me. I didn't get them in anybody else. Matter of fact, I learned later on that I had a little shutoff valve inside. If somebody is sharing feelings with me, I, like, clicked off. And it was like... Well, get through this silly stuff. Let's talk about something that's, that matters. Let's talk about something that's logical. And so I totally disconnected with other people's feelings. And so that's why I, I didn't even know there was a triangle um, back Spock. here. Mr. Spock. Mr. Spock. I lived in a, in a total thought world. So she was communicating feelings. I interpreted it as if it was thoughts. I was communicating thoughts back. And so we had Chinese and Latin, two different languages going on. And the the... You know, and if you have those conversations, you know, all the, that two hours, you know, after just a few moments, you realize they've like gone deaf on you and you've got to get a little bit louder. You know how those go, right? And so we, the harder we talk, the, the more we tried to understand each other, the more frustrated we got in the process. 
And so what we're suggesting is that we have to learn how to expand ourselves around this triangle. We have to learn how to communicate from all three of these perspectives and learn how to listen for these as well. Now, I'm not suggesting that every conversation we have, we've got to cover all three of these. That would be overkill. If you want to go to Sonic after, after we're done here and get a slushy, I don't really need to know your feelings. Okay, I really don't need to know. Gosh, I'm really feeling parched right now, you know? And uh, I, I don't need, I just need to know I want a slushy, right? And so, um, but in, in important relationships, I think significant relationships in our work environment, certainly with our spouses and children, a good 51% of the time that we communicate, if we don't cover all three of these, we're going to leave a lot of guesswork to our partner. And so we want to just go over these real briefly. I know you know what these words mean, but we want to talk about some important principles of this and then just leave you with one strategy here that you can walk out of here with that can help your connections, that it can help you begin to build stronger connections in your life. The first one we want to take a look at it as is thoughts. We have to remember that thoughts are interpretations. Thoughts are not facts. Because we have a different past, because of our gender, because of our personality, we are going to view the world in a different way than the people around us. So the thoughts that we have, even though they feel like facts to us, They really are opinions. They really are interpretations, our interpretation of the world. We saw this early on when we first got married uh, in relationship to cars. Some of you guys have heard me tell the story. My dad was a successful businessman, and his last couple businesses were in transportation. So we had a great relationship with the Chevy dealer and the Toyota dealer because he was always buying new vehicles. So in my family, I was raised that you never drove an old car. We never did car repairs. Our friends used to joke and say the Roberts don't change the oil, they just trade cars. It wasn't that bad, but I was raised that if a car started getting 50 or 60,000 miles on it, you needed to get rid of it before it started falling apart. That's the way my family taught me. It's kind of cringes and it's hard for me to say that now, but that's the way I was raised. I married someone whose father was also very successful, and he believed it was foolish to ever buy a new car. And so they would buy a used car. They would drive it till it was dust. They'd sweep it up and drive it some more. They kept a long log of all this maintenance that they were very proud of. I was like, maintenance? Why do you need to do maintenance? You just get another car. So we came into marriage. My dad was smart and really successful. And so he wanted me to have a new car. His dad was smart and really successful, and he thought it'd be foolish for us to get a car. We come in with those interpretations based on our past. Just because dad thinks it doesn't necessarily mean that it is right. And so we have to recognize we have a lot of those in our brain that we have decided are fact, but they're really merely opinion. And so we have to hold our thoughts tentative and say, this is how I see it, but what is your interpretation or how do you see it when we're working in relationships? Now, feelings. Boy, this was a booger for me. I, uh, um, as I've already said, I didn't do this very well. I kind of had some strikes against me, not only my 85% of the left brain males that don't connect as well with feelings. I was raised with all boys, army colonel dad, just no need for feelings in the family. Um, I spent a couple of years, Janice would say a couple of decades, um, trying to talk her out of her feelings. 
She would share with me how she was feeling, and I would just simply explain to her why that was not right. Um, <laughs> no, honey, you've misunderstood that. You shouldn't feel that way. No, you didn't. You heard that wrong. No, you over, you're overreacting to that. No, you were too sensitive to that. Now, have any of you tried that? <laughs> have any of you had your partner go, oh, you're right. Oh, my, my bad. I just shouldn't. I, I'm feeling wrong. Any of you? I want to talk to you afterwards, okay? This doesn't work. And so I was insane for two years or 20 years, however, you know, whatever comes in. I was doing the same thing, expecting different results. Feelings are a very important quality that a person has. Uh, I was discounting those. I was not valuing those at all, trying to talk her out of them. And I was missing a part of the ability for us to connect because we had no connection on that level. I learned that feelings... Uh, we're a little bit like this. If I was grabbing this this monitor afterwards because it needs to be repaired and hauling it out of here, and one of you just happens to bump into me going through a doorway out here, and it slips out of my hand, and the corner of this drops on your foot and catches a couple of your toes, and we hear a crunch, um, and you're hobbling and going and sitting down, and you're in pain, and and you know I come over because I'm a caring guy and go, gosh, I'm sorry, that was an accident, you know, please, I'm really sorry. Forgive me for that, would you? Um, please don't, don't hurt anymore. You'd go, excuse me? They're crooked. Um, you know, I mean, that would be silly. I would never do that. But that, in essence, is what I was doing. I couldn't see her feelings, but I was saying, quit it. Stop it. The reality is those feelings were real. Now, we shouldn't make all of our decisions based on our feelings. That would be a pretty chaotic life. But they are incredibly important part of a person's experience. And so I had to learn that feelings need to be validated. It needs to be acknowledged that I get that's your experience. I may never see it that way. I may never, I may never have those same feelings if I was in a similar circumstance, but that is your experience. That's the only way that we're going to connect with people. That's the only way that life and life begin um, to connect with one another. The third area is wants. Those seem pretty straightforward. This is what I want. I want to quit my job. I don't want to lose my car. But what happens is a lot of times we will share with people around us the socially acceptable wants, and we don't share some of the wants that maybe seem a little bit tacky or maybe seem like we shouldn't want that. So it's what happens when we have our financial peace class and the couple says, I want to get out of debt. I want that more than anything else. And they agree together, yes, we want to get out of debt. But they're not expressing some other wants that they have. And so all of a sudden, somebody goes out and buys a bass boat. Honey, look what we got. Or they have what we call at our house a mall run. And they come back. And the other one is like, why did you do that? You lied to me. Or you told me we're going to do this. And now look what you did. We look extremely irrational. Because oftentimes, the unexpressed wants are the things that we act on but we've stuffed them down and stuffed them down, and it makes us appear illogical to people around us. And so it's important in a good relationship, in a close relationship, that we allow ourselves to express all of our wants and not just the ones that we think they want to hear or the ones that seem like the right things to say. So there's an area, that, another area that I was very limited in. I, in my family, I was we were kind of taught that if you share your wants, you're selfish. And so I didn't share any of my wants, and yet I had lots of them. And I would get mad at her 
for not responding to my wants that I never communicated to her that she didn't even know. Once again, I lived in a lot of insanity in my life, okay? Um, and so, so what do we do with this? Do you see we're in an important conversation with a coworker or a spouse or a close friend that if you leave one or two of these out, you're going to leave a whole lot of guesswork? There's a whole lot of assuming that actually you have to do to try to figure out what it is that the person is saying. So we're suggesting that we have to learn how to develop ourselves around this. Now, how, how do, what do we do with that? Again, as I said, not every conversation do we have to cover all three of these. So let's go back to our initial um, very horrific two hours that we had uh, where she came in and said, I can't do this anymore. I'm just, you know, feeling this and feeling that. What we began to recognize is that I, I had to, to be able to value what it was that she was saying. I had to learn how to be able to, 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 to um, carry or cover my own response. If I had one of two responses, if either I was confused by what she said or I'm having a reaction like you're quitting your job, I'm, I'm actually having a, an emotional reaction to that. If I simply could just take the time to let her know, to repeat back what it is that I'm hearing, if I could have simply just said, wow, what a day you must have had to want to quit your job and to feel that disrespected. Gosh, I'm really, to empathize, to validate that feeling, I really feel bad for you. It also sounds to me like you're, did you quit your job? What I, what I, what I heard is you quitting your job. Is that what you're doing? Because <laughs> yeah. she needs to know that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Um, that gives her an opportunity to clarify that. We also see this in other relationships. I remember many years ago when I had little toddlers, I had a best friend that lived next door. And I remember uh, my daughter, Caitlin, spent the day with her, and she was like three. And I said, oh, I hope Caitlin didn't throw any fits when she was with you or, or temper tantrums. And uh, she said, oh, no, I don't allow that at my house. Something within me just got a little bit ticked off at that. So I took my kids and went, okay, well, we're going to go home now. And went back to my house, and I, that started just kind of messing with me. Oh, you don't, do you? So are you saying you're a better mother than I am? Well, I've seen some things your kids have done that aren't the greatest in the world either. You know, I've got all these thoughts that are going through my mind, and I didn't need her as a friend anyway because who's going to be judgmental like that? So I had all those things that were going through my mind, and finally it was like, okay, stop it. You don't know what she really meant. So I walked back over, and I said, I have to talk to you about something. Um, when you said you don't allow that, I heard that as you think I'm a bad mom and you're a better mom than I am. And she was like, no, that is not what I meant at all. She said, I actually have had some things lately where I've been thinking about, um, I don't allow my kids to express emotions enough. I tend to just shut it off and they haven't learned to express their emotions. And I see your kids talk about emotions all the time. And I was like, oh, well, sometimes I let mine go too far and I probably should have, you know, cut it off too. And I mean, <laughs> and we were able to just go, oh, we can just be parents together and friends together and it'll all be fine. And they talked about that for hours. And hours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, I still email her. No, uh, but we have to be careful because it's little things like that. I could have lost one of the dearest relationships that I have over a little comment like that because we let it mess with us. We've got to be able to communicate, this is what's going on. Tell me what you really meant. 
And then we'll see whether we have a conflict or not. And then we can deal with it. But it's those misunderstandings that often ruin relationships and cause us to separate ourselves from other people. We want to learn how to connect and to avoid the separation and the cutoff. So if I can explain to a person what I'm hearing, to repeat that back and put it in my own words, I'm not talking about parroting, I'm not talking about mimicking, but I'd say, this is what I heard. That would have given her an opportunity to confirm, I call it the two C's, confirm or clarify. In our situation, she would have clarified. She said, no, oh, I want to quit so bad. Oh, you don't know how badly I want to go in and, and just, you know, hand in my resignation and turn in my key. I wanted that so bad, but I'm not going to do that until I've found another job. I know, our, I know we're just starting now. We've got the car payment and all that. Now, can you imagine what's happening in me there? All of a sudden, my blood pressure is kind of going back down to normal. I'm realizing, okay, okay, I'm relaxing, I'm realizing um, different kinds of totally different message than what I thought I heard initially. Now, sometimes that doesn't fully clarify. I may be wondering if she says she wants to start looking for another job. That's, that's what she did in clarifying it. Um, I might wonder, well, is she going to get just any job by the end of the week, or is she going to kind of get a career job? And so I might even say, oh, babe, whew. You had me going. I was worried there. I could see. I was seeing the repo guy, you know. And uh, but I understand. I hear that that you're you just need to get out of there as soon as you can. You just need to do something different. Um, or, and what I'm hearing is you probably want to do that in a week or two. You want to get something because I'm just still not clear on how that works. She, then she can clarify that more. No, I'm thinking six months. You know, I can do this for six more months. Uh, I'm going to get my resume together. I'm going to start, you know, talking with folks. Well, do you see where it's getting clearer and clearer and clearer? And at that point, we're done. I don't have a conflict. We didn't even have a conflict here. We thought we did. But good communication will eradicate a lot of things that we think are conflict that, that aren't conflict. And so by simply taking, now this would have taken what, two minutes maybe? So I'll let you choose. Two hours of horror or two minutes that helps restore it, restore us and understand. You know, it's a pretty simple choice, isn't it? Um, but it takes some discipline on our part to discipline ourselves to not have that initial reaction, to find out what it is. I've, I've seen this in staff meetings at times where I've heard something said and I'm having a reaction to it. And if I simply just stop and say, okay, now what I'm hearing you say is that you want to do this because of this. Is that what you're saying? And it helps clear up things that shouldn't be conflict. Now, this will also help identify what conflict is. She could have said from that, she could have said, oh, yeah, I quit. I am done. I'm never going there again. I turn in my key. I feel so free. Um, now, good communication, right? I got the meaning that she sent. But I have a problem with this. I don't agree with this. Now, what do we do? That's another, that's another day. Okay, Talk about conflict resolution. But what this will do is eliminate a lot of things that should have never should have never been conflict. Uh, another, another thing that I learned how to do from this, another way to utilize this, is if I want to share something important with somebody, I now know there's a triangle. I didn't know there was a triangle. And if I want them to have the best chance of understanding me, I'll try to make sure I cover all three of these. I'll try to make sure I share my thoughts and my feelings and my wants. That gives them the best chance to be able to hear my heart. That gives us the best chance to make a connection. God created us to have relationships. He said it's not good for man to be alone, and that's not just marriage. We are created to be connected with one another. 
but we have to connect through communication. And because of all of our own unique past, that can be challenging sometimes. We have to discipline ourselves to say, I'm not going to just react any old way, but I'm going to be disciplined enough so that I can communicate it in a healthy way and that I can listen to them in a healthy way so that we can build connectedness and closeness and not have division. James 1.19, leave it with you. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Lord, that's our heart's desire this morning. We acknowledge we don't do this real well. It's not oftentimes when we're in an important relationship or something has stirred something in us. Oftentimes we go back to trying to prove our point or to win the win the case or trying to talk the other person out of something. Lord, we just simply say um, we are committed to each other. We're committed to community. Help us when we struggle with this. We will choose to do our part, and we trust you for the benefit of living according to our DNA. We want to live according to the way that you've designed us. We want to find that place of unity. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go today, just uh, a couple things um, here before we, we uh, dismiss. Uh, first of all, uh, we have a, just a really great opportunity. We talked about this last week to participate in this Guatemala mission trip, this medical mission trip. And you all responded just so generously last week. I'm going to ask Scott Boss to come. I saw him here just a minute ago. And, uh, and share.